I've seen I've seen great times and I've seen the low dark times. You know, so it's like after a while, it was like, man, why do I keep having these hiccups? And every time I had a hiccup, it was because it was at the hands of somebody else's brain. It was like every time I'm waiting on a check, it's because I'm waiting on somebody else to pay me. Yeah. I'm waiting on somebody else's deal to go through so I can get my advance. I'm waiting on somebody else's tour to jump off and hoping that they don't cancel the tour because they get sick. So I can know I got money. Like I got tired of going up, up, down with it. So I, after a while, I was like, I got to say something for myself because it's getting too much now where people be like, yo, that's the dude that did this. That's the guy. And it's like, yo, but nobody's really hearing me for me. You just heard a portion of our interview with Grammy and Stella award-winning producer, musician, creative, and all-around amazing individual, Daniel Weatherspoon. Now, this is an episode that we are calling one of our best of from the vault because we wanted to bring this back out from the archives to make sure you heard it because Daniel Weatherspoon has been on every major project you can imagine, worked with every top 10, really top five, top three artists you can imagine. But yet he has a story to tell that will really help you understand how to reinvent yourself, how to overcome both obstacles and how to grow from your success. This is an absolutely number one kind of episode in our God and Gigs archive. So I'm so glad you're going to hear it now. And let me just go ahead and welcome our newest listeners. And then we'll get right into this incredible interview. Artists, musicians, and creatives of all kinds. Looking for help balancing your passion to create with your everyday life? Not sure if your faith can coexist with your profession? Welcome to a place where real artists discuss real life. You're listening to The God and Gig Show. Visit GodandGigs.com for show notes, links, and more information. Hello and welcome to our show. Thank you so much for making this podcast a part of your creative day. If you are new to the show, you are among friends. My name is Alan C. Paul. I'm the host and founder of God and Gigs, and we are here to help you to transform your life from the inside out by applying timeless spiritual principles to the temporary creative problems that you might be facing. And we are here to help you become that completely confident creative, to cast off all the self-doubt and all the worries that even as a Christian creative you might have, we're going to help you connect the faith with that freedom to achieve anything that God puts in your heart as a creative. And to talk about that today, there's no one better in this best of episode that I could bring up than Daniel Weatherspoon. We did this episode about, I'd say, two and a half years ago as I'm recording, but this was too good to pass up. And especially as we're nearing our 200th episode as I'm recording, I didn't want to let this one kind of sink into the archives too far where you have to dig for it. I wanted to put it up where you could find it right away. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about Daniel because we could spend his entire episode on his resume. Raised in Chicago, he has been on every single major recording you can imagine from Beyonce to Carl Thomas to BB and CC Wine and Fred Hammond, Ricky Diller, Destiny's Child, the Clark Centers, Donald Lawrence and the Tri-City Singers. He has been on all of these amazing projects as a producer, Grammy and Stellar Award winning producer. But not only that, he's also been a top selling jazz pianist with his project journey and the Langley Park project. He has established himself as an incredible jazz pianist 
And as I said, there's really nothing he hasn't achieved, but you're going to hear in this episode how he found his way through all of the navigating of being in certain rooms and being on these top projects, but also finding his place as a solo artist and what that was like and the struggles he had to go through in order to establish himself and to see his own creative vision. And that's something you may have not realized you have in common with artists like Daniel who have been in the biggest stages. He too had to figure his way out in this landscape of creative life and music industry and whether people want to hear you and see you. He's going to tell you all about that. And once again, that's why this is one of our best episodes ever in the God and Gig Show and why I wanted to make sure you heard it. So without any further delay, let's get right into this best of with Daniel Weatherspoon. Absolute pleasure. I have to tell you before we start this interview that I have been following this man, this artist, this musician for probably my whole entire performance career, but just didn't realize it. But his name kept popping up on credits when I was reading who I was working with, whether um, whether I was doing a song by Fred Hammond or a song by um, uh, any of the, the name, the gospel artists. He has been on that record as a producer, as a uh, as a musician, as a composer. So he is now here with us on the God and Gig show to talk about what he's doing next. So Daniel Weatherspoon, I am yeah. so happy to welcome you to the God and Gig show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm absolutely wonderful. This I is, appreciate you having me. Oh, no, this is an absolute pleasure for me. As I said, I'm a fan first because uh, as a musician coming up, uh, I did not realize, I think I might have maybe run across you at one of these conventions as well, but long, long time ago. But okay. I just, my, my interaction with you has always been recognizing your talent and your gift through all the artists that you've been supporting and working with. So just for those of you who have not been reading the credits and don't know you as well, musically speaking, uh, can you just talk a little, like, give us a 30 second, second elevator speech about like who you are and what you, you know, what you do in the music industry? Well, uh, um, it started off uh, real quick as a, just a, a church musician, uh, well, not just a church musician, but playing in church, I should say. And then it evolved into, um, you know, uh, doing local records around Chicago. And then it snowballed into working with some some of the premier artists from Donald to Fred, the Clark sisters, to Ryan's and uh, some R&B things, Carl Thomas, Beyonce. Uh, and now I'm at a phase now where I'm doing my own music. So uh, it's kind of been a, it's been a long 30 years of, you know. <laughs> doing this <laughs> okay let's, now i gotta back up because i knew it was gonna be impossible to get all this into just one comment like that was that was yeah. unfair but yeah like the fact that you just named all those artists and you said uh-huh. snowball use the word snowball so we gotta yeah. talk about where did the snowball start like how do you go from um coming up from where did you let's go let's go all the way back to the beginning why not okay you know, to, to give it kind of like so you can give people context because some people might look at you and say I'll never get there. Like what, what you just mentioned, 30 years of working with these kind of artists and then someone just starting from the bottom might say, that's impossible. I don't, yeah. I'll, I'll never reach that level because no matter how much I practice, Daniel Weatherspoon has contacts and has talent I'll never have. So talk about like yeah. just, the, just the, you know, the beginning, like how did you get into music and when did you first see this as a possible career? Well, see, I didn't, uh, I necessarily, I necessarily didn't see it as a career. You know, uh, I think that's where, the, uh, uh, what the misinterpretation is because this wasn't my first love. I started off uh, wanting to play football. And uh, at, at the age of 11, I found out I had bone disease, uh, which I still have to today. 
uh, uh, about seven years ago, I had to have my right hip and maybe about nine inches of my thigh bone completely replaced with titanium. So this is a story of my life that most people don't know. Wow. Uh, so at 11, I found out I had bone disease. Uh, I could no longer do sports. I was very athletic as young. I was never into music. I was never the musician that, you know, stood in the corner uh, behind the drums at church up against the wall and saying, I want, I want, I want next and blah, blah, blah. I was never that guy. I was never interested. I was never interested in music. Um, but after I, uh, after we found out I had bone disease, I was the kid in school that had the full brace and was on crutches for two years. And, you know, the whole, the whole real side of it in that season is when I had to find an outlet, you know, and some people might say, oh, this is a gimmick. No, it's, it's, it's a thousand percent real life for me. You know, I needed a, I needed a way out. Um, and my parents, we were always in church always anyway, but I just, again, I was never into music. So I just needed something. I basically needed something to do, you know, to vent and to, uh, feel accepted or whatever, you know, or feel artistic again or something. So, uh, I started venting with piano and I just, over time, just taught myself how to play and yada, yada, yada. And by the time I was 15 or 16 and my parents really figured that I was all in into it, they bought me my first keyboard, you know? Okay. So, I mean, I'm just playing at church whenever we go to church, I'm in the basement at the, you know, it's old church of God in Christ. So, you know, I'm beating on old out of tune piano in the basement or whatever. And this just happened over a couple of years. And by the time I got to high school, uh, you know, you know, I was on crutches in my brace for two and a half years, nearly three years. So my from sixth grade through all the way through middle school, I was on crutches. Wow. And then um, so when I got into high school, I uh, by now I'm full on with music because this is what I've been doing, you know, just on my own. So when I finally was able to do so and be moving and active on my own, I got into marching band and symphonic and jazz trio and blah, like I'm all the way in, I'm all the way in music in high school. And then, you know, it just started circulating around church. You know, money was never important because we didn't think, you know, at 16, you're not thinking about money. You're just playing at church or you're right. just playing at the, you know, it was, and sooner or later, you know, one church, you know, you know, church band, that was, that was back in the day when church choirs and choirs were, the thing it wasn't you know i'm almost 50 i might not you know um, i'm two years from 50 so i've been you know i've been at it wow 35 years you know so it's you know i'm a teenager and it starts in church and you know you um going to sunday musicals and blah 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 and the next thing you know somebody asks you to you know play for their little community choir or something around town and you know you you know run into a four o'clock service on sunday to play with the community choir and blah blah, blah. and so it just evolved and over time you know, one thing, somebody here, here you played and blah, blah, blah. And then somebody here, here you played and somebody here. And it, it, that's where the snowball came because I never, I never had a plan that I was going to be a record producer. Mm. Like I, I never had a plan that I was going to be a touring musician. It just, it kind of just started happening, you wow. know? So back home in Chicago, you know, then it got a little older than you, you know, you, connect with the soul children of Chicago and then you get the Tommies and then you get the, you know, Kim McFarlane's and blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, Ricky Diller call you to play on the record. And then while you playing on the Ricky Diller record, 
Don Lawrence sitting in the audience. Okay, I gotta slow you down because we <laughs> that, that was a quick that was a quick progression now because you just yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah. some of these again. I, I remember these records yeah. um with my children's choir back in the day playing the soul children stuff. And yeah. again, this is what, like you said, that was the environment. So I want you to quickly kind of talk about that environment because I think one of the things that a lot of uh, musicians and artists, creators in general, we talk about a lot is who do you know, right? Like the community yeah, yeah. that you grew up in and that your musical circle creates like the environment that you actually elevate within, right? Yeah. The circle. Yeah. So just talk a little bit about that. Like the church, the people that were around you um, that were kind of, again, that one step away. And these all these artists, I, I know you're mentioning from Chicago and, and everywhere else may not have been big at the time, but they were all mm. reaching and pushing and growing yeah. with you. Can you kind of talk about like that environment you were growing yeah. up in, yeah, well, that beginning part? Yeah, well, uh, in that beginning part, um, in my age bracket, so, you know, I'm from Chicago, so myself, Rodney East, um, like Ethan Farmer was in LA, Teddy Campbell, who married, you know, Tina married, all right. of us were in the same age bracket, growing up together in the same circle. Yeah, so, okay. And the people older than us were like Kevin Bronson, who was Milton Bronson's son, uh, Tyrone Dickerson, Ernie Allen, uh, people like this. And they were plugged in, but we were kind of just being mentored. You know, we okay. were just kind of playing around town and, you know, got a little older and New Direction evolved, which is a youth choir out of Chicago. And um, uh, I used to sit under quite a few people, but one of the guys, the main guys I sat under was a guy named Tyrone Dixon. And at the time he was been taken and Yolanda Adams MD. But this was when Yolanda was, was this wasn't when Yolanda was Yolanda. This was yeah, when Yolanda right, was. right. There's, there's the singer named Yolanda kind of taken off. It was those days. And then the first, I think the first gig I ever got called for was the play with him and Yolanda. And it was like, we're doing, you know, 75 room venues and it was just small it was like young days young yolanda yeah and and uh you know so it just kind of evolved and uh there's another guy named wendell Lowe that i sat under or sat around he wasn't too much older than me but um we just became cool just everybody was just you know it was just it was a it was just the church scene in chicago and he happened to be doing a uh record on ricky dilly which was called worked it out yep and um uh, and he called me and said, hey, man, you want to play organ on the record? And I was like, yeah, cool. And we did the session. And wow. And this is where it just it happened. Like okay. uh, in the middle of doing this, we worked it out video. Uh, about two days before the record. Uh, Ricky tells us I'm bringing in this guy, Donald Lawrence, to help me clean these vocals up because we're like right at the last minute and I'm, pre I'm stressed out. It was literally like two, three days before the session. And I had never heard of Donald. I had never heard of Tri-City because they just weren't popular in at least the Kojic side of town I was in, like okay. in Chicago. They were Southern. I had never heard of Donald Lawrence, like ever heard of him. Never heard of Kevin. Well, I knew Kevin Bond from Chicago, but I never knew Cedric Thompson. I never heard of Lejeune Thompson. I never heard of none of them singers. And uh, uh, he came to rehearsal maybe a couple of days for the record and we did the Ricky record and the day after Ricky's session Ricky called me and said hey you know that guy that was at the recording I said yeah you talking about the skinny guy he's like yeah he said he asked me for your number because he's working on something 
I said, all right, you can have my number. He called me and said, hey, this is Donald Lawrence, yada, yada, yada. I said, hey, man, yeah, I remember y'all. y'all saw, he said, yeah. He said, I'm doing this record in two weeks. <laughs> he said, would you be free to come to Detroit? I said, yeah, I'll come. And we worked it out. And he said, I'm going to put you on the phone with a guy named Cedric Thompson. He's the music director and blah, blah, blah. And he said, Calvin Napper's playing drums, who plays drums for, he used to play drums for John P. Key. And I said, okay, cool. It'd be nice to meet these guys. And then I said, so what's the record? And he said, it's Karen Clark's debut album, Finally Karen. (laughs) (laughs) That's when it hits you, right? Is that when it hits you? That's when it hit, like, yo, something's happening. Yeah. Like, and we did Karen's record. And a couple of days before we were friend record Karen's record, Donald says, I want you to take a solo on one of these songs, like a keyboard solo. And I'm like, okay, cool. And it was Jesus is a love song. Mm. And from there on, it just, it just went from there. It went to, uh, well, um, there's an R&B guy named Carl Thomas. They used to do that was signed to Puffy. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we all grew up in church together. So he's huh. from Chicago. Aurora. Okay. But when he got his deal with Puff, he moved to New York. Well, he moved to New York a couple of years earlier and was singing around town in New York at clubs. And he would always just invite me to come hang. But I, you know, I might've went once or twice, but it was like, you know, I'm still 20 years old. Like, you know, you know, and, and in our world, at least the world I grew up in with my type of parents, it wasn't just no, yo, I'm going to New York for the weekend. It wasn't that. I was about to say, yeah, (laughs) that, 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 that environment, because when you, when you're now, as you're blowing up, I was, I was kind of like going to ask you, like, how is it affecting you socially in terms of like your, uh, your approach? Yeah. Like, you know, the star mentality, that's kind of like what I was going to get to. Like when you start feeling like God's blessing you and everything, but now you got to like measure it against trying to stay grounded. I was going to ask you, like, was that affecting you in terms of yeah, like just the way you were approaching life and people asking you to sh- show up here or be this or hang out here and be in these these environments that are now more. Yeah. Um, did it did it feel like it, you had to... I don't want to ask you, did it change you? That's the wrong question. You know what I mean? Because well, obviously it didn't. No, it didn't change me. It just... Um, I was new. I was new to it. So I actually was intimidated by it. Like, um, uh, I was cool with Carl, you know, because we had history together and we were church kids, but... The first time I really got uncomfortable was when I got called to do a Snoop Dogg gig. Mm. And then it was like, yo, my mother, gonna, I'm 25 <laughs> years old. I'm, you know, I'm in my 20s and I'm like, Man, my mother gonna wear me out if she found out I'm ever doing something like this. You know, that's how deep culture we were in. Okay. You know, and it was, um, you know, but, you know, but before that, you know, when things started happening, like, you know, I did the Karen record and then. I got called to do a Twinkie record and then a Dorinda record and then somebody else called for this and that. And next thing you know, it just it rolled and rolled. And then next next call I get was, uh, I mean, stuff was happening. And then I'm doing a lot of records now. And I'm busy now. I'm traveling now. We did, you know, I'm doing Mega Fest and doing this and blah, blah, blah. And we were usually getting premiere records. and And I got used to working. And then suddenly uh, I got a call, which kept, which I was feeling like, I'm, you know, you are making a name for myself as a musician. I'm doing right. this. And then I got a call from Fred Hammond. Uh, literally two weeks before he did this DVD live in Chicago. 
I had never played with them before. We had never worked together before. We had never met. But of course, you know, you know Commission, you know them, and you know they, yeah. they're just the great, they're the greatest in the world. And he called and he said, yo, um, I'm doing a, a live DVD in Chicago. Uh, Maurice Fitzgerald is playing bass. Joy Wolfrock is playing guitar. Richard Gibbs is on organ. And word on the street is I should let you MD it. And I went to Detroit about four days later. We rehearsed for a week. And the live DVD in Chicago was my first gig with Fred. Wow. Wow. That was, that was literally. <laughs> and, and, you know, were direct, and you were directing, you said. Yeah. You were, you, yeah, you, you yeah, on that yeah. yeah. I came in as band director. <laughs> what was that? Just tell me what was that? That what was that like? Because again, you you've been I mean, in these were, you've been in these yeah. situations before, but every situation is not new level. Like it's yeah, next level. Great. Yeah, and it's this it's not not yeah, and that's why I keep referring back to referring back to snowballing because it was like, yo, this Fred. Like you no, know, I used to study the first commission record. I studied all of them records. You know, Mike Brooks was a hero to me to keep up playing. It was like the same sequencer he used to program them records on. I went and bought the same. MC. M500. It was a white little thing. Like, I almost, like, he was like an idol to me. Yeah. So, so when I got the Fred gig, and I did that for about three years, and blah, 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 and then I went back to Donald, and after that, we did a record called I Am Healed somewhere up in there. Uh, and then that went, and then next thing you know, and then more work is coming, more work is coming on the gospel side. And then next thing you know, I got a call to sub a gig for BBCC. It wasn't, I wasn't asked to do the gig. Rodney East was doing the gig. Uh, Percy Beatty was on the gig, but they couldn't go this particular show. Okay. So I just got, I got asked to cover the date. And after the date, at the end of the night, BB came to me and said, um, I've been having problems with the band. Are you willing to, are you interested in being my new music director? And I said, that ain't a good look. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't, I don't want it to get back that I came out here trying to take somebody's gig, you know, and they, you know, I was like, I just, I'm subbing. And he's like, I know, but it's something about your style. It's something about it. You know, the music, he said, you know, about like, your feel, it just feels right. And then CC was like, yo, I love him. He's got to be with us. And within a couple of weeks, they rebuilt the whole band and I was the MD. So I'm doing BB and CC dates. I'm doing CC dates and I'm doing BB dates. <laughs> So then, and then that evolved into a record that they did called 3WB, which was the Winus Brothers did a reunion record. Right. Uh, me and Rodney Jerkins co-produced the record together. So it was like that whole side was going on. And then I still had my R&B friends, you know. So, you know, the music director that ended up being, the guy that ended up being the music director for Carl Thomas was a guy named Kern Brantley out of Detroit. And he had everybody's account. He had Mary J. Blind's account. He had Puff's account. He had Carl's account. And... Over the years, sooner or later, he got a call to do Beyonce. Um, uh, but I didn't get the call. So what it was, was uh, another guy named Jeff Motley was playing. And I don't know, yeah, I'm sure you know Joe Wilson, Joe Flip Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, Flip was on the gig. It was Joe Wilson and a guy named Jeff Motley. Uh, and they did, they did the run for about six months, five, six months. And then Beyonce had to go on tour overseas for four months. But the other keyboard player found out his wife was pregnant. Ah, okay. So, um, so he was he was like, "Yo, I can't I can't leave for four months. Y'all need to get somebody to just cover the you just cover the overseas run." And then when over, so literally, I got the call simply to contract it for the overseas run. Okay, because it, it was his gig. 
four days into getting into Europe, the first stop was we went to London. I mean, the UK. We went to London. We rehearsed in New York for about a week. And then, no, about two weeks. And then we went to London about three days into the first week of the tour. Beyonce says, I'm bringing cameras into the show tomorrow. And I'm going to do a live at Wembley DVD. I, I feel like people are not giving you the heads up. it's literally happening like the the whole band was shot yeah like whole band didn't have a clue so it was like yo beyonce you know so when they made the announcement she's like y'all gonna get some bonuses and yada 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 and and we made a bag of money on that tour and it was like you know yada 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 and so we all hyped like yo she doing a dvd and it ended up being the live at wembley dvd which is beyonce's first live dvd and that thing sold a couple million copies like several million units and that's how I ended up being on, I'm subbing the gig for somebody else and then ended up getting a DVD in out of it. And yeah. then after four months, she was just so used to this unit playing for us that she just decided to keep it. Gotcha. So, you know, but then it only lasted another four months anyway. It didn't even last a whole year. But like I said, it just, things just happened and happened and happened. And, you know, I stayed grounded. I stayed easy. You know, um, after a while I left Chicago, moved to Nashville and I'm married now and having children and, and then, um, um, you know, I just always stayed kind of settled and kind of easy, you know, so I didn't really, you know, I'm saying a whole lot, but. No, again, I, I, I love it. Yeah, no, I, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to stop yeah, you because yeah. I felt like when you were telling these stories, uh, two things come to mind. And there's one thing that I, I told you even at the beginning that I, I know people that in my, in my circle of really value, and I know you value it. Because yeah. you just said it over and over, you weren't number one with the sub situation when, when you were asked to do the uh, takeover. And you said, no, I don't want to do that because my reputation, I don't want my reputation to be, yeah. I came in. And see, I think sometimes you, because you're a professional, because you have a, a character, you kind of just figure that's normal. But there's so many people who would have jumped at that chance and said, hey, this is my chance. I'm going to jump in. I got I to gotta grab it while the iron is hot. You know what I mean? And just think yeah, the yeah. opportunity is... Uh, uh, just opportunity, just opportunity versus thinking through, say, I want to get there, but I also want to get there the right way. And I think yeah, everything absolutely. you said, both your talent, obviously put you in those rooms, you know, God give me, you know, what you're making room for your gift. But then the second part, which I want to kind of relate to is being the right kind of person that can operate in these areas because you weren't l- looking just to, Oh, how can I get in? How can I get in? You were always, it always seems like you were your humility and, you had a lot of confidence, but humility at the same time that allowed yeah. you to be in these rooms with Beyonce's and Fred's and without feeling either. You said you was intimidated at first, but I feel like your character was like you were built yeah. for those rooms and people seem to respect that. Am I right yeah. about that? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I didn't. Um, I felt like I was built for, you know, I, you know, my, I guess my musicality over time, just the people that I study, you know, like. I studied a lot of George Duke. I studied a lot of Joe Sample. I studied a lot of Russell Ferrante. I studied a lot of David Foster. You know, I, uh, a lot of Tommy Sims. I know just a lot of players. And um, over time, I just built my own kind of tone, built my own thing, and it worked. You know, it what it. Did, I didn't always sound churchy, and I didn't always sound jazzy. But ah, okay. you know, I, um, you know, I just kind of. I voice things different, you know, and I, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it appealed to people and, and it just, it worked and it just, 
it just kind of kept rolling to the point where, you know, hey, I'm playing gigs or somebody asked me to produce a record or, you know, I'm MDing a session. It just it just kept happening, you know. But again, I wasn't the guy at 15 that said, yo, I'm doing this for a career. Like this is, you know, I didn't, I never had that thought. You know, if you ask me right, if you ask me right now, what's the favorite thing I like doing is, is probably interior decorating. <laughs> okay, that's, that's yeah, yeah, that, like that it, was that was the last thing yeah, I would have expected. Yeah, yeah it's, it's way off. Like, like I'm a, uh, I guess way over here. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm an extreme introvert. First off, and then you know, I, I feel like I'm very artistic, but I see stuff a little different. Like I love designing. I love layouts. I love um, artwork. I love classical music. You know, it's just, uh, which is, I listen to more than anything. It's my favorite genre. So, I mean, uh, I'm, just, I, I'm just a little, I'm a little different. You know, how I got to that place, I don't, I don't necessarily know, you know. But again, I wasn't the guy that grew up saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to be playing for Fred one day, or I'm going to be the guy playing for people. I just didn't grow up that way. I grew up wanting to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. So, you know. You know, as it evolved, I loved it. I loved it more. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. I realized this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That this, you know, with life changing and blah, blah, blah. I got married and my parents been married 50 years. So, you know, it's like no matter what they go through, divorce is not an option with them. So I was just taught not to, you know, I just saw that from them. So I just know, hey, no matter how hard it get, you ain't never leaving home. You know, yeah. you never, you're never walking out on kids. I just never, I never saw life to be, an easy way out. Whatever, whatever, whatever model they lived is just the model I did. That's just what I knew to do. Okay. You know, so so now I mean my wife and I just celebrated 15 years last month. But in this day and time, be a musician lasting 15 years of marriage is like a hundred dog years. <laughs> wow. But, that's a know, great man. way to put it. No, exactly. <laughs> you're exactly right. Because I'm gonna say that that's one of the things that I it's it's so rare. I, I actually rare. you mentioned yeah. Cedric and Lejeune. I was actually listening yeah. to a podcast with uh John Mike that did with, with Cedric and Lejeune Thompson. I reposted it and did a blog on it because the same thing they were talking about, which is how much the industry takes out of you when it yeah. comes to trying to connect with your family. I'm so glad you brought that up because again, like one of my, my biggest things with this audience, with my platform is not just getting to the stage, not just the gigs, but is your quality of life. Mm-hmm. Like, um, being act, uh, what you call being accentuated by your home life or vice yeah. versa. Your gig life should be helping your home life, not hurting it. So Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, because now at this stage of your life, and that's why I was kind of pivoting to, where after all the success, after these amazing experiences, like we could go on and on about playing with Beyonce and Wembley and Fred. And, but now you're embarking on this stage where you're becoming a solo artist. And so I see mm-hmm. kind of two things I want to kind of throw at you. One is obviously why, why now? Why become, you know, I looked at your, uh, your one sheet and where it says, you know, jazz pianists, like it's labeled, like you, that's, that's what you have as your approach, mm-hmm. as, your, as, your, uh, as your genre. So I wanted to ask, what's that transition like moving from support of all these amazing uh, top notch artists to being an artist on your own, solo artist? And then number two, how does that affect in terms of where you are in life with you, like you said, at, with, with married, with kids, with wanting to have your own thing? And maybe that's a little different than touring all over the world where you want to be home more often. We'll get back to Daniel's response about how he made this new shift in his career and decided to move in a whole nother direction in just one moment. But before we do, I want to ask you, 
Are you in a place where you also are considering making a shift, making a change, deciding to go to a different level in your career, and maybe you're just not sure how to do so? I'm not promising you that I know all the answers, but I do know that with the right kind of counsel and with a certain group of highly motivated creators around you, you can find the answers that you need. And that's why I'm encouraging you, if you're considering getting some help in this area, to try out our creative coaching program. And we're going to be starting another group, even as you're listening to this, it might be in the summer of 2020 or even beyond, but you can go ahead and find out if this is a good fit for you by signing up for a free consultation. All you have to do is go to godandgigs.com slash coaching, and you can schedule a time where we can discuss whether or not coaching is the right fit for you to get you to the next level and get you some clarity, some vision, some purpose, and some new strategies that can make your next chapter of your creative career your best chapter. So make sure to check that out at godandgigs.com slash coaching. Now let's get back to Daniel Weatherspoon and how he's entered this new season of his life and how it's affected his outlook on the entire industry. Yeah, um, yeah, I stopped. I, I got tired of traveling about 10 years ago. You know, I still travel a ton. Like, like even my, my, my itinerary for this year is like, I'm, I'm getting booked already, already to August. Yeah. Like it's a lot, there's a lot going on over the next four or five months already. And, um, I started the year off working, you know, I was, I did a jazz cruise for 10 days, nine days. And I came home and then I had to do another thing. Yada, yada. Then I celebrated our anniversary in mid February and then blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada. Then the album came out today, actually. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize uh, it was today. Okay. It's Perfect. 20, uh, the 10th. So yeah, it's, um, but yeah, I got, I just got tired of just being a road dog. Probably like it really kicked in probably my second year of marriage. Like, like, I'm getting too old for this, you know, and I'm, I'm saying I'm getting too old for this at 35 years old because I have been doing it since I was 20. Yeah. You know, so, you know, somebody else could say, man, you know, yo, but you know, I have, you no, know, we have our daughter, our oldest daughters, Kenny, she just, she's a freshman in college. Now our middle son Carter is a graduating middle school. So he's going to his first year of high school. Our youngest is Lincoln. He's in fourth. So we lived in Nashville. We got when we got married. My wife moved from Maryland to Chicago with me. We stayed there about three years. Moved to Nashville for two years. Uh, I started my publishing company, and then at the end of the second year, uh, we got pregnant with our youngest son who delayed the, the the baby Lincoln, and she was like. Baby, you know, it's just us in Nashville and it's about to be us in Nashville with three kids and you out working all the time. And right around that time, I was working with a lot with Tommy Sims and this art, this artist named Johnny Lane. Um, so uh, she was like, can we just go to can we just go to D.C. or go to Maryland for a year or two, you know, until the baby gets a little older and yada, 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 because you're, you're just super busy. And we go to all, you know, so we was like, yeah, let's move to Maryland because her family is massive. I mean. It's 500 of them. Like her, my, my wife's family is huge. Aunties, uncles, and, you know, cousins and nephews. It's just a ton of, it's a, and then her mom and dad were pastors here of their own small church. Oh, okay. so, we moved, so we moved back here and we, well, we moved here and got a house here. And 
I'm still busy and I'm doing a lot of stuff, but at least she felt she had family support because instead of me being gone and leaving her in Nashville with three kids, I'm on broke. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so, and I didn't want, I didn't want that stress on her. So I was like, yeah, we're going to, we can go to uh, Maryland. So we came to Maryland and we've been here about 11 years or so now. And, um, uh, it just, uh, it, it, I got tired probably that first year living here. It was like, I'm, I'm just tired of running around. Like I'm just tired of running around doing other people's stuff. Yeah. You know, I got tired of, uh, I've helped a lot of people get rich. You know, I've helped a whole lot of people sell a lot of records. Like, you know, um, uh, I've, I've been, and, and not, and not to take the credit for it, but I've just, I've been blessed to be part of records that were life changing for people. Yeah. You know, uh, from Donald, uh, you know, some of Donald's biggest records I did for him. Uh, I did Nobody Greater for Vashon Mitchell, which is the biggest song of his career, you know, to date. Uh, um, which which changed his whole trajectory of his brand, which is great, you know. And I'm we, that's my dude, yeah. You know, so um, so I just was blessed to be. A, I did praises what I do for a church in Chicago, so called kind of glorious. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm literally, literally, you're talking about like these are. I call them hint the new hymns when you talk yeah. about these songs. That these become these become like that. That what if you were going to create a gospel hymn book. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, you know, it wouldn't have Amazing Grace. It would have Nobody Greater. It would have Praise yeah. of What I Do. It would have Jesus is a Love Song because these are the songs that became, like you said, defining records. Yeah. And and so what you're saying now is not that you're, yeah, I don't get any of that where you sound like you're ungrateful or that you're taking credit at all. I don't hear that at all. But what yeah. I do hear is that you're saying that was all, uh, uh, it, it, at the end of the day, you were still working with somebody, but it was yeah. somebody else in front. Yeah. Yeah. I look back. Yeah. I look back at like some of the things that I've accomplished, like, you know, and it's been great, you know, um, and I didn't even name half, I didn't name a a quarter of the things I've been blessed to do, you know, um, you know, but I got plaques all over the wall. You know, I got, I got Mary Mary plaques. I got Janet Jackson plaques. I got Destiny's Child plaques. I got Bad Boy plaques. I got a gold record for this. I got a platinum record for that. I got a two, three double awards for this. And it's a lot of stuff. You know, um, but none of it was my machine. You know, you know, I was like I said, I did, I did praise what I do. I produced uh, uh, no uh, more than anything with Lamar Campbell. Lord, yeah, I love yeah. you mm-hmm. more than anything. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I did a whole, 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 whole lot of records, and then after a while, it was like, man, I, I don't want to be fifty years old. You know, and now this is maybe eight or nine years ago, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to be 50, 55 years old. And all I'm really ever known as is the guy that made people sound good. Mm. I just, I just got, I literally just got tired. I just got tired of waiting on, waiting on label deals, waiting on label check to show up, waiting on publishing thing to come in, waiting on the artist to decide if they're going to do the session. I mean, it is. I've accomplished a lot, but it's just it's been just as much hell as it's been happiness. It has been, you know, don't don't ever I don't want people to ever think that it's just been a whole lot of ups, 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 ups. You know, like I yeah. stated earlier, I stated earlier, I was out with Beyonce and we were making a ton of money. But when Beyonce's tour was over, 
that money that we made ran out if I didn't find the next gig. Yeah. Yeah. That's reality. Yeah. And so it's just like, after you run out of that stack of money that's in the bank and you, then it's like, yo, yo, I got about two, three more months to survive on this, but I'm going to need another gig. So, you know, it's, I mean, that's real talk. I faced it. You know, I faced everything. I went through droughts. I went through seasons of where I didn't get work for eight or nine months. You know, uh, I'm the guy that, I'm the most transparent one, you know, from, from birth to now, I've seen it all. I've seen my car get repossessed. I've seen my phone been turned off. I've seen the guy come outside and be like, yo, you got to write us a check or we're cutting your lights off. Like I've been through all of it, you know, and people wouldn't expect it. Cause it's like, yo, that's Daniel. Like he's the, no, nah, I mean, it's real life. Like yeah. I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen great times and I've seen the low dark times. You know, so it's like after a while, it was like, man, why do I keep having these hiccups? And every time I had a hiccup, it was because it was at the hands of somebody else's brand. Mm. It was like, it was like every time I'm waiting on a check, it's because I'm waiting on somebody else to pay me. Yeah. I'm waiting on somebody else's deal to go through so I can get my advance. I'm waiting on somebody else's tour to jump off and hoping that they don't cancel the tour because they get sick so I can know I got money. Like, I got tired of going. Up, up down with it. So I, after a while, I was like, I got to say something for myself because it's getting too much now where people be like, yo, that's the dude that did this, that's the guy. And it's like, yo, but nobody's really hearing, <clears throat> nobody's hearing me for me. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I really got to the point where I started, I really started learning people. Probably when I hit the age of 40, I started seeing stuff completely different. Like, I'm really only valuable to a few people because I make them sound good. Like Ooh. I'm really only valuable to you because I can do something for you. But like, uh, when it really started, when I'm just, and it ain't everybody, it's not everybody, but yeah. it's enough. It's enough people for me to realize like, yo, I thought that was my dude for 15 years. And it's like, I was really only your dude for 15 years. Cause I did your records. Like, like, my I, goodness. <laughs> so when, when I, when I started really getting that, I was like, I gotta, I gotta just, I gotta stop at some point. So while living in Maryland, uh, the first house we got was on a street called Boston Avenue. Ah, okay. All right. I want to hear this story because I was just listening to these. Tr- go, go ahead. Tell us. Well, Boston Avenue is the Langley, is on the Langley Park record. And um, I said, I'm going to just do a record about my life. I'm going to name every song on the record after some part of my life. And I didn't have no, I had no plans of like, I didn't have a marketing plan. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm just going to do this and literally just put it on. I didn't even have a website. Wow. I'm like I'm just, I'm going to just put it online and blah, blah, blah. And we just see where we go. I'm going to order some CDs. And God is my witness. This was just, it was just like, I just got to do something for me. If I die tomorrow, if I die next year in a car accident, I'm being heaven's glory saying I didn't do nothing for me, <laughs> mm. you know? So I said, I'm going to just do a record and I cut a song and I, I, and I know a boatload of musicians and engineers and studios. And of course I had a quality that I wasn't going to let myself go underneath, but I just started writing songs that felt right to my lifestyle. I did a song called Boston Avenue because that was the street we lived on. Uh, there's a place, a neighborhood about a half a mile from my house 
called Old Town, where we used to take the kids, go get pizza, and there's a busboy and poets over there and uh, all of it. And we would go eat in Old Town, which is part of Langley Park. Langley Park is the neighborhood we live in. So it was like, I named the album Langley Park. I put the first song on the record is the first street we lived on. East West Highway is the road in between our house and our church, which is a, a, oh, the street wow. we drive down. Okay. Uh, uh, I did two covers. I did a cover of Nobody Greater, uh, which is, I ended up, because I produced Nobody Greater, so I did a cover of that. And then my favorite, one of my favorite tunes of all time is Mean Time by BBC. Okay. So we used to do that song in the show. So I, I said, I just love playing this tune. So I put those two covers on my record. Other than that, everything else is original. Um, Tacoma Station is a jazz club that's up the street that we would go hear music at. So I, I wrote a tune and I named it Tacoma Station. Um, mm-hmm. Like So everything about the record, has every song has a story to it. Yeah, and but it's your story, though. That's what I love. It's, it's, that story, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like listening to your biography. Like, that's, yeah. that's what I, I just realized as I was watching it, listening to it myself and, and, and checking out the tunes. I'm like, you know, I'm, you're hearing your style. And you just mentioned it. And I, I'm going to be a little music head here. I definitely heard the classical influences. I heard, you know, the other influences that you mentioned other in your playing style, where it wasn't, it's not, tradi- you're not going to be pigeonholed into smooth jazz. Like that's not, it's not just a smooth jazz record. It's not just a jazz record. It definitely sounds unique because it has your stamp on it. And now that you're telling me the story behind the tunes, it makes yeah. even more sense yeah. that, that, that you're not out, you weren't, again, kind of thinking commercially, oh, well, this will, this is the right kind of, you know, thing that will sell a million records and get me on the, the billboard, even yeah, though yeah. it did. Yeah, it did, <laughs> you know. Um, and um, but yeah, that wasn't that was never that really was never the plan. Like I, I didn't have no I didn't have any expectations. I just knew I felt good about about a record. And um, uh, one of my best friends at the time, who was now one of the uh, co-chairs of president of uh, Motown Gospel, which is EJ Gaines. Okay. Uh, uh, he was my, one of my closest friends and he was an attorney. And, um, so he was like, yo, yo, this record is great. Like, what you gonna do? I said, I'll put it out sooner or later. And he's like, no, let's get a date, put it out, blah, blah, blah. I get your barcode, blah, blah, blah. I get all this stuff. Like he, he helped me get it. And we, we set a target date, put it out and it debuted at number one. And, uh, he called me about a week after the album came out and said, uh, he said, Daniel, you got the number one jazz album in the country. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, I, ain't even, I said, I, I don't even have a deal. Like, I just did it myself. I spent a couple of grand getting it done. And he said, no, go on billboard.com and look at the jazz charts. And I went on there and it was, it was the number one record. And it was above Brian Coberson, Kim Waters, uh, Miles Davis reunion, uh, Miles Davis greatest hits, all all of these records that came out the same day. Yeah, man, outsold all of those records, and yeah. I'm sitting here like, how in the world did this happen? It was number one on iTunes, was number one on Billboard, and I'm freaking out. And I'm me and my wife is like, yo, something's about to. And then about a week after that, Donald Lawrence called me and said, Daniel. It's all over the. It's all over all over gospel music that you got the number one jazz out. Like it's everywhere. He said you're gonna have to go on the road. Donald Donald literally told me you're gonna have to start booking dates. I'm like, man, I ain't never played a date. In other words, 
every time I play, it's literally been supporting somebody. I've wow. never been Daniel the artist. Yeah. I've never been Daniel the artist guy. So he was like, you're going to have to find your band and y'all going to have to yada yada. And that's what I did. And it's a whole other, but, a whole, but a whole other world, the world that you had supported for so long, now you had to be in charge of. You I had, had to be, be in the charge guy. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the one thing, but then I learned a lot about surroundings. Like Don, Donald is probably one of the pure souls I've ever encountered. Only because he's one of maybe, and I've worked with a couple thousand artists. I would just, if I'm bragging, no, if I'm just being no, it's real. But, yeah, it's real. You yeah. know, I've been I work with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of artists, and I would name three people that are as pure as I want to see you become bigger than me. And mm. Donald is one of them. Donald wants to see everybody in his camp exceed what he does. He teaches them. I mean, a lot of people came out of his camp. Anita Wilson came out of his camp. You know, Blanches and Dwayne Woods came out of his camp. The world like Donald has a list and list and list of people that come out of his camp that become brands. Uh, Donald C.C. Winans is one of the purest people I've ever connected with. Uh, but Donald, no, Donald is like one of these people that's just like, yo, this is what you need to do. I need you to read this book. I need you to learn this chart. I need you to learn the system. And then when I became an artist, I started realizing how much I didn't do right as a musician. Hmm, like all of the that. All of the years as a musician, I never took the time to learn to go shake the hand of the booking agent at a club, at a venue. I never went and introduced myself to the tour manager. I never said, yo, who, who's the stage, who's head of stage production? I'm just the keyboard player. I'm doing the tour. I know I got a sweet hotel room. I know I'm where my check going to be. I know they're going to pick me up from the airport and drive me around and do all of that. But I never l- took the time as a touring musician or producer to learn the people sitting on the other side of the table. Unless mm-hmm. I had to work, unless I had to actually work, do a job for a label rep or something. I never went out of my way to just say, yo, you know, we at this crazy venue and you no, know, I could be without, if I was, I would be Beyonce or something. I never just said, yo, who booked this tour? Like who's the, who's the person that's running this club or who's, you know, I never learned them. So now that I'm an artist, I'm looking back like, yo, I need to do some dates. And I can't name one person out of all of the places I played that I can call and say, let me get a show. Wow. Wow. Because I never, I was never taught, I was never taught to do it. I was never informed to build those kind of relationships. Relationships, yeah. It was just, we hear work, you work for the artist, you keep your name clean, you do your job, you learn your music, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then, you know, you bring all of that weight to the table. You charge as much money as you want to be the guy. But I never learned how to build other side of the table relationships. I'm wondering, is that, and now that you're on the artist side, is that even more valuable? Yeah, I got oh, you. Yeah, 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 is yeah. that even more yeah. valuable than, 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 than the, because than the, you just said it, like you said, like the checks and everything and the, the glamour and, the, and, the, and it's always be cool to be at the top of the, at the list, you know, the first on the call list. And that's always great. But. To build the brand that you're talking about, which you now have, by the way, I was going to make sure you brought that up in terms of, I see your website with your apparel and with the, the vinyls that you're putting out, the new project and everything. Like clearly you learned how to build those relationships, but just talking to the people now that you're talking to, you know, the, the musicians and the creatives who don't realize what you realize now, 
<laughs> that yeah. you have to always be building yourself. It doesn't mean you can't support other people. I don't yeah. hear you saying that, but you yeah. always have to be thinking what's next. What's what's not. I, I got to be careful how I say this, not what's in it for me, but how can I be a part of this as I support other people and build something yeah. that I can have? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the right way to say it. Now that's what I learned late. Okay. And I'm, 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 I'm mature enough to admit it. I learned it really late on how to make the other person look good while making myself smarter. I learned that very late in the game. Okay. After 20 years, I learned it. It it took me to be on my own to learn. It took me to get burned enough and realize I'm only important because it is. It took people to write me enough bad checks, which I've been written thousands of them. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I'm trying not to shout oh my lord okay just continue because we could talk we, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm, you know I'm I'm the realest one you're going to get you know I'm I'm as real as they come I'm a, and I ain't got no I, I have no reason to to cover it up as I have no reason for it you know um, yeah and we need and we, uh, need, we need we need all we need that authenticity in this industry yeah. and, and just as people forget the industry just as people yeah, yeah. and in 2020 we need more people who are honest about what's really going on so so we can yeah. get better like you said with yeah, Donald yeah. you know people that try to help each other get better and yeah, yeah. that's what you, when you tell the truth you help you're helping us yeah, yeah so um yeah but you gotta learn as you, if you're younger and you're starting, or even if you're older and starting, or rebranding yourself or reinventing your thing, yada yada. You gotta always Donald. Don, one thing Donald told me is, and he said, "I want you to even apply this with working with me." He said, "Always have a have a plan. Uh, always have an exit plan." He okay. said. He said, always, even even with our relationship and being cool and how we've developed over the years and all of the stuff we've done, you know, and we've been blessed to do a lot of stuff from Karen to he's a keeper for Rodney Bryan to Clark Sisters. Finally, like we've done a ton of records, but he would always say, no matter who you're working with, always have the exit plan. Always make sure that you've learned enough in that camp. And well, he didn't start telling me this until I became an artist, but he was like, um, always make sure you learn enough from certain artists on how they operate the good and the bad side of it. And then always have a way to know that if that gig came to an end, you wouldn't be left out in the cold. Like he said, you got to rebuild, you got to re. And then he was also speaking to me as head of household. Cause I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm married with three children. He's like, you know, now that you're going through this road, whatever new areas and whatever the new streets you drive down, whatever new relationships you build, don't trust it that much anymore to the point where if that gig or that club or that thing falls apart, then now your whole family's in trouble mm-hmm. or your or your whole career's in trouble yeah. or your whole thing. So I had to rethink this, you know, and I wish... I wish I would have been taught that at 19, but I just wasn't. I was just taught to be the team player, play my role, you know, which is fine. And I took all of that, but I didn't, until I got in my 40s or so, it was like I saw a different, you know, my patience started running out. And and I never had, in our entire career, I've never had a, a problem with Don. We've never had me, like ever. Yeah. And it's like, um, but it's rare out of Donald. Donald's. Donald and CC are just two artists when I've worked with a thousand. So, you know, I'm burned by the other ones or, you know, or so many of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you know, 
And so many of those burns, 80% of those burns were gospel, you know, oddly enough, you know, but um, it's just, it's just what it was, you know? Um, so I just started rethinking, you know, a couple of years ago, I went on the road, I learned a lot. Uh, and I paid out, I, I probably went through, I probably went through 40 grand of my own money the first year. As, my a, as, as an artist, as an artist, as, yeah, artist. as a forty four year old, okay, yeah, yeah, but, just and it was necessary, you know. I'm booking clubs and I'm playing, and we're driving up and down the road. And we're pulling the U-Haul. I'm paying for hotel, you know, whatever. We're getting Airbnbs. I'm paying the guys, and then you know, I might play a room, and then the room would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, after the deal, you know, here's three hundred dollars, and I'm like, I'm used to getting three grand a show, you know. <laughs> then I go, I I got. Me and five guys got to share three hundred dollars. <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> so it's a whole different thing, you know. But it's probably been the most rewarding thing in my life because now I'm at a I'm full in at a phase now where it's like, if it ain't my brand, it ain't nobody's brand. Mm. You know, I uh, I started a clothing line and we're still um, and it's 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 early. You know, we just got like hoodies and hats, and um, you know, eventually we're gonna throw in some t-shirts. And throwing some, you know, summer gear. You know, it's going to grow over time. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I told my wife, I said, if I'm going to be wearing, if I'm going to wear clothes, it might as well be some clothes with my name on it. Yeah. yeah. It might as well be, if I'm going to wear a hat leaving out the house, it might as well be a hat with my brand on it. So for the last two, three weeks after we really got it going, every day of the week, I got on my own clothes. Can, I, I, can I, I tell you, thank you for saying that because I literally, <laughs> no, because I've got my, um, there's something about the mindset that you just yeah, yeah. hit on. I, I got, I want to, I want to talk about so many things including the new record, but let's quickly put on yeah. that because you just touched my heart. It is so hard sometimes because you have some kind, I have, not, not you or anybody else. Let me just talk about me. I have an internal conversation with myself when I put on my own gear about what other people are thinking about me. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about I'm talking about guiding gigs where I try to help other people have confidence in their ability to do exactly what you're saying. And here I am personally feeling like, well, they're going to think that I'm just like all about me and myself and trying to like be you know, all uh, attention getting. And, you know, the same thing with social media and everything like we I go through. I say again, I don't know if you're like this, if you had to go through the same situation or someone else, but maybe someone else is listening, had to go through that mental thing with it's okay to promote if you're doing it out of an authentic place. Like I have, yeah, to, yeah. I need help with that myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, you know, but yeah, it's okay to promote. Like, um, like even on my, on my even on my uh my social media platforms, I've I've been putting up a lot of things to push my own record. And I'm sure there's somebody that's saying, yo, we already know who you are. You ain't gotta, you ain't you ain't gotta put, but it's like, yo, I'm not. I just feel like, and I just feel like I'm doing this not for opinion. Like I'm, I'm not at a place where, like I'm way, I'm an introvert. I'm an extreme introvert. And I said that before, but at this age with a 19 year old, a 13 year old and a 10 year old, I'm way past most people's feelings. (laughs) Like Like, 98% of them. (laughs) like i'm i'm way past it because you know um it took it's and it took it took it took me going through a stage of depression bitterness and then rebuilding myself to get to that point okay. and i'm gonna tell you why um because i've 
I've helped a lot of people and, and I don't want you to attach what I'm finna say to people's names I've given because that's not what I'm doing. Gotcha. But there's a whole rack of people I've worked with that I'm not, you know, that are unnamed, uh, some famous, some not. But since I became an artist and since I put on my own record and had to evolve into being an artist, let me say it that way. I, in three years, I've probably done 150 shows, 120 shows of my own shows. Okay. Right. Of those shows, I've probably seen two artists I've worked with in 30 years. Whew. Wow. $10 ticket, $15 ticket. Yo, I'm in town. What's up, homie? Yo, I'm in town. I got a show literally three blocks from your house. Come just come. It, it, it'll mean a lot to me if you just stick your head in your door and buy you ain't got to. No, when I tell you the first year I went on tour for my own brand, my first show I did in Chicago, back to Chicago, Donald Lawrence bought. Donald was out of town. Donald went online and bought a rack of tickets and said, my support to you is I'm going to buy tickets and you give them away to people on the street. So while we're in soundcheck at a place in Chicago called The Wire, my wife had five tickets and was literally outside the door saying, we got free tickets to anybody that's interested in just coming in. Those were tickets that Donald bought. Oh, wow. Lamar Campbell, which is who I did more than anything for, my first show I ever did in Indianapolis happened to be about a week before, after his birthday, or within the same week. And he said, dude, we got a history. Like, you my dude for life. I'm going to make sure your first show in Indianapolis sell out. When I got to Indianapolis, Lamar Campbell had his entire choir and about 10 other people there. They bought out half the restaurant, the half mm. the supper club, and said, that's my dude. He didn't help me have hit records. I'm going to make sure he sell out his show tonight. He, it was literally Lamar Campbell and 30 people at the Jazz Kitchen. Uh. Other than them two people, it might be two or three. It might be two other folks. It, it might be one other person that came <laughs> to uh, one of my shows. Now, it got better the next year, but the yeah. first year, Donald Lamar and one other person bought a ticket to my show. And you just said it, that that had to be like the, again, we don't, I, I understand your heart. You're not going negative right. on anybody, but yeah, in, terms of, in terms of, I think you're explaining that's why you can't assume that everybody knows you can't assume that um, just because you put out one tweet or wore the shirt or whatever, or you did a lot of work to get to this point. You talked about $40,000 of your own work and 30 years of building relationships. Like you deserve, I think I can use the word deserve. You deserve to be, say, hey, okay, now it's my turn and, and, and go out and just be who you are and yeah. not, not expect support. I don't hear that either. I didn't hear that coming from your heart. But definitely look for the bread that you cast to come back to you. Like yeah, yeah. the Bible talks about that. And, and I think in a lot of ways, both the Billboard success and now with this new record, you're seeing that still seeds you planted are growing. It just probably didn't look the way you wanted it to look. Yeah, it didn't look know? the way I wanted it to look. Yeah. And I, I, you're, you're dead on. It, yeah, but, um, you know, I wanted it to look a different way. I, I expected it. I expected well, that. That might have just been because I was spoiled from all of the good things that I did experience, but okay. I expected it to be easier because of the fact that 
I'm connected to 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's because I know a ton of musicians in every city, ton of churches here, ton of jazz guys, a ton of blah, blah, blah. That's because I knew, I just knew it was going to be easier. But the second I made it my business to be a competitor in a sense, I got treated as a competitor. Mm. So it was like, um, you know, your, your skin got to be tough. You, you know, you got to, you know, um, again, I started late as far as being an artist. I didn't, you know, I started this at 43, 44, however old it was. 44 when I put the record out. Uh, Might have been 40. Yeah, I don't know, one of them numbers. <laughs> uh, but uh, it took a lot, you know, so you had to just rethink, blah, blah, blah. You know, but if it's one thing that hasn't changed, which has kept me healthy, is my wife's always been in my corner. My children always been in my corner. You know, the album came out today. Uh, uh, and we woke up before the kids going. I'm 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 still I'm the full on dad that takes the kids to school, do the lunches. Like I still do it. You know, yeah. to, to this and it's like, you know, uh, my daughter's here for the week um from college. She goes back Friday and uh and they just say, hey, we're proud of you. It's like that. If y'all good, nah, I'm good. Our lights are on. We got hot water. We got money in the bank. You know, we're doing all right. We got full refrigerator full of food. You know, this guy. No, I'm good. If y'all good, I'm good. That's, that's just where I am. That's just how full on. That's just where I am. And it's like, I'm going to promote it. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to push my children. I'm going to blah, 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 yada, yada, And I just see life completely different, yeah. especially at almost 50 years old. It's like, I ain't got time to be worried about it for 20, 20 year old dude is going to hate that I played a chord this way. And then I just don't have the energy to do it. No more. <laughs> yeah. You know, I uh, want the support. Yeah. I, I want it. And I'm, I'm great on critique. Like I'm, I'm a great listener when it comes to that, but I just, I just see life completely different. You know, That's you know, beautiful. I want to be in, yeah, I want to be in a different set of rooms. I want to be in, and I want to prove, I want to be the guy that can really say, you can beat the industry at the industry's game. Uh, you can, you know, but it's, it takes a lot of care. It takes a lot of uh, character adjustment. You can't be no butthole, no jerk, thinking that you're going to get in the room with Beyonce. You're just not. You know, you just can't be no idiot, you know, and messy and blah, 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 yada, yada, and think somebody's going to hand you a $50,000 record. They're just not going to do it. You know, so I learned how to be acceptable and, you know, approachable and all of that, yada, yada, is younger and all of that. And I learned how to be on my craft, on my music, learn the songs. I learned, and I, I was taught how to do that. Now I have to teach myself how to make a brand win. So I'm just in a different phase of life now. That, well, yeah. you just, the way that you just explained it again, is unbelievable. Like, I'm, I'm going to listen back to this. I'm sure everybody's listening to this podcast is going to listen back and just see for you to be so transparent about your evolution. Um, and again, um, just uh, just the, the, the incredible, uh, I didn't realize, again, I saw the record was coming out, did not realize that today was a release date. So just for you to be talking to us on the day that you are now going to, and I was going to go back and finally get to this record because everything that you just said, the, the record is journey. Am I right? Yeah. I, you really just described the journey. You do realize yeah. that, right? You do realize <laughs> you just took, the, 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 on the day of the release of journey, you just took us through the journey of yep. Daniel Weatherspoon, the musician and producer and 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 writer who who have has been a part of so many other people's again, like you said, not to take away from it, but you were a part 
you were the, the engine behind, right? You were the engine. They were yeah. the car. They were the shiny outside. You were the engine on the inside running things, making sure the oil was right, making sure everything was, was flying at the right, uh, uh, the, right, the right altitude. And then you're here now at the end, not end, sorry, beginning of a new journey, right? New chapter, I guess you could say. And yeah. now just tell us a little bit about what this means to you now, now that you're at this stage and now releasing a whole new record. Just tell us a little about that record. And, you know, because, you know, we're, people are going to be listening to this and they're going to be looking to hear the evolution through this song, the new, the new, the new yeah. project you just put out. Yeah, the, well, the new album, you know, um, it's it's just an extension of my of, of life. You know, the, I named the album Journey. Uh, 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 one of the hashtags I always use on my social media things is the journey continues. Like, uh, it's just it's just every I don't I don't as for representing myself, I don't know how to write music unless there's a theme behind it. Like okay. I've learned that about me. So, um, uh. There's a song on the record that's called Journey. The album is titled Journey. Uh, the opening song on the record is called Trio because last year, uh, well, yeah, halfway through the second year, uh, all overhead was kicking our butt. And we didn't, we didn't, I had to figure out how to make adjustments to where I wasn't spending personal money as much to eat up. So I started taking the trio with me instead of taking the five-piece band out. So I named the song Trio. There's another song on the record called phase two i named it phase two because it's the second phase of my life as a musician you know so um yeah it's just it's just every song means something to me there's also a song on a record called kentucky that i named i named it kentucky because uh we were on tour uh uh we had a show in chicago driving to nashville okay and when you come from Chicago to Nashville, you got to go through Indianapolis, you got to go through Kentucky, and then you end up in Nashville. We had a blowout in Louisville. Oh, okay. And had to spend the night, uh, which, and then we had we had to stay overnight because it blew out on us about eight o'clock at night, and all of the tire shops, the Walmart tire department, Costco tire department, all of them were closed. So we had to get a room, get a tow to one location, blah blah blah. Spend I had to do uh, spend another money the next morning, blah blah blah. So I was like. I named the tune Kentucky to remind me of the headache I had in that. So every, every, every song is themed for a reason. And, um, uh, you know, I just pour, it's a very emotional record. I pour my heart into it and, you know, it came out this morning and I've been getting a lot of inboxes and a lot of messages here and there. And it's just, I guess people are really believing me now that, Hey, this, this is a, this is for real for him. Like this is the right space. This is the right space for him at this time in his life. And you know, um, I'm I'm excited, man. It's just it's it's good, you know. It's uh it's it's climbing. Uh, I think right now it's it's number four on Jazz iTunes. So it, it's moving, and it's only been out about three hours. So it's you know it's doing pretty good. So you know it's going to keep moving and keep moving, and you know, and then you know, physical units to get sold, and we're just going to keep grinding. Yeah. We'll keep going until it breaks. Well, the, I don't think it's going to break. No, we'll, we'll break records. Let's put that, let's uh-huh. put that way. Let it break records. But the let's fact that. is that the way that you have put it, again, like I am, I am, I cannot, again, tell you how grateful I am that you even spend an hour of this important day with us, number one. Yeah. Number two, to share the depth of, I keep coming back to authenticity. Like that's what I'm hearing. Again, every time I do one of these interviews, I'm no, I'm no Oprah. I'm none of that. I'm just another musician, another creative trying to like connect with other people to kind of help again, help each other 
get better. <clears throat> but what you share really is the meat of the matter, which is you got to think about how, you know, your legacy will be over, you know, the long haul versus the short-term, beautiful, amazing mountaintops. But you just said it. There's also those valleys. And the fact that you got to the mountaintops and the valleys and still are who you are, no, no, there's no pretension, no ego. You're just, you know, you're, you're a musician and a, a, a family man, a father, a husband that, you know, I can look at right now and respect having not even met you before, but knowing that yeah. what you're about, I, I know that God's going to continue to bless you. And we built the material, the material and the spiritual and the, you know, the emotional success, all that's coming to you because you clearly did it the right way. So thank you, thank you. so much for being a part thank of the show and sharing Absolutely. your with us. Daniel, thank you so much. God bless you. We're going to hopefully do this some other time. And I'll make yeah. sure to, oh, real quick, I always want to finish just in case someone's writing down, even though we'll put all the links in the show notes, tell them how to follow you, how to get the record, how to connect with you on social media. Just give them all yeah. the details. Uh, it's real easy. The easiest way is just, uh, DanielWeatherspoon.com, which is the website that's up and running now. We have product there. We have merch there. Uh, Instagram is Daniel Weatherspoon. Facebook is Daniel Weatherspoon. Twitter is D underscore Weatherspoon. Um, hit me anytime. Send me a message. You know, uh, if you want to contact me for something, you can either contact through the website or you can just uh, email contact at DanielWeatherspoon.com. And it's real easy. And I get back to you or somebody will get, get up with you so we can uh, we can make things happen. Friend, I am sure after listening to Daniel Weatherspoon speak from the heart about his experiences, his incredible success, but also the highs and lows that he's experienced and how he was able to reinvent himself and commit to his artistic vision, there's nothing in that interview that won't help you to do the same thing. So I think we have found, once again, one of those best of episodes that will last for years, maybe decades to come. Share this with a friend who needs to hear it. This is why we do our best of episodes. It's because we want to make sure that those amazing words of wisdom are never more than a couple of clicks away. And that's why I'm so glad that we were able to bring this back as we near our 200th episode as I'm recording. So For you, I want to make sure, number one, that you follow Daniel, follow all of his socials, make sure you connect with him, and so you can continue to be inspired by his incredible creative output and his experience and his knowledge. Number two, I want to make sure you follow our show if you haven't already subscribed. Make sure you're subscribed. You can also find us on YouTube. All of those links are also in the show notes. And finally, if you want to surround yourself with creatives like Daniel, who have this incredible insight and knowledge, but also can give you some accountability in some community so that you never fall back on your feelings of inadequacy, feeling like you can't make it, feeling like you can't reinvent yourself, feeling like you're stuck in the rut. If you are nervous and feeling like that's where you end up, even after you hear an episode like this, you got to get yourself in front of other people who are going to help you to grow the way that you can as a God-centered, God-focused, faith-focused creative. And the best way to do that is to join God and Gift 360 Gold, which is our membership for highly motivated creatives who want to get out of their own way and become completely confident in their gifts so that they can impact the world and take on any creative project that God puts in their heart. That's what you can get in God and Gates 360 Gold. We've got member calls. We've got videos. We've got people connecting and we got people praying for each other. Creatives just like you who understand you and who will help you grow as well as these immense 
amount of resources that we put together an entire complete creative game plan for creatives like you who know their faith is their backbone and their foundation, but also want to know how to connect their mission and their marketing. It's all there for you and it's free for 30 days. So there's nothing stopping you from trying this out and seeing if you can really put an acceleration into your creative career. So go ahead, check it out at godandgeeks.com slash free trial, or just click the link in the show notes. Well, my friend, that's our show for today. Thank you so much again for listening. And until we meet again, continue to become the creative that you were created to be. God bless. Thanks for joining us here at the God and Gig Show. Please leave us a review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, or visit GodandGigs.com and tell us what you thought of this show. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, go create something amazing.